Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Past Boss Show, brought to you by JohnPL.com as well. St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff to get into in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Just a reminder, if you're interested and you want to be part of the program, you can give the show call. The number is 732-364-3598. You could also, um, anything that's on your mind, like I said, if you want to comment, on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed. Keep the program going amongst things we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to bring up Willie O'Ree in a little bit. I do want to talk about Will Chamberlain because I think in the sport of the NBA and the game that we see right now, we seem to forget this guy's dominance and what he meant to the sport. Um, let's see. Uh, other things we'll bring up, but like I said, anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, please uh, let me know. Um, first thing we're going to talk about, I do believe there's a little bit of an overemphasis. Now, I, I do believe in people making a story out of a story and finding some interest and intrigue in different things that could happen. Um, the thought has existed for a while, certainly going back to last offseason when we spoke about uh, Shohei Otani and his potential impact on the sport of Major League Baseball, maybe being that first legitimate two-way player since the likes of Babe Ruth. And I think that, you know, had was a, it, was a, it was a good story. A lot was meant to it. And, in fact, up to a certain point, we really looked at the possibility that it could really happen. Now, 2019, we probably won't see it as much, but I do believe, you know, going into 2020 and past that, the Angels, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, signed Shohei Otani with the thought of him being a legitimate two-way player, a guy that's going to pitch once a week as a starter and is going to DH the rest of the time. The one part of what Shohei Otani did or showed last year that was probably uh, more encouraging was his ability to hit as opposed to his ability to pitch. And I think that is outstanding because that was the one concern we had. Was Shohei Otani going to be able to hit, you know, in the Korean Baseball League? Obviously, the way it was set up, it was, you know, you look at several players that played there and had success and did well for a while, but came over to the major leagues and were not the same thing. You look at the Eric Thames story and how you know, touted he was coming after three solid seasons of being in, you know, in, in, you know, the, in, in the league set up to succeed. And he goes back, you know, to the majors with the Brewers and yeah, he had 30 home runs, but certainly under no circumstances was the player that he was when he was in Korea. So now you're seeing some possibilities. A guy like a Matt Davidson, a guy like a J.D. Davis. You're looking at a couple players that signed to new teams. Obviously, the trade between the Mets and the Astros to send Davis from Houston to the Mets. Matt Davidson signing as a free agent after he was non-tendered by the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, obviously, there was a, there there's some intrigue, not only that these players can help as legitimate power hitters, you know, Davidson's a guy who hit a ton of home runs last year. J.D. Davis over the last couple of years has done nothing but hit home runs in AAA in the minors for the Houston Astros. So, you know, these guys are obviously being targeted because of their bats. Not so much because what they could do as a pitcher. And I know we want to always see, hey, what's the next 
Who's the next Otani going to be? Is it going to be Brendan McKay, who was taken in the first round a couple years ago by the Tampa Bay Rays? Could it be, you know, Hunter Green? Well, Hunter Green is already stuck to the majority of his time to pitching. So, you know, it's something that doesn't look like it's going to happen. But then we look at it from the perspective of a Matt Davidson or a J.D. Davis. And I hate to say it, we're getting to a point where we're overblowing this a little bit. Because really all that Matt Davidson or J.D. Davis are going to be is that pitcher that's going to pitch in a lopsided game. Maybe that guy to save a bullpen some innings. That's all it's going to be. I mean, we're seeing it in baseball. And obviously the new thing over the last five years is we've seen it, the prominence of position players getting the opportunity to pitch. That dream scenario, whether it's, let's say, a, an Anthony Rizzo this past year or you know, decades ago, Jose Canseco, fulfilling that lifelong dream to pitch in a major league game. We all know it was a joke. We all knew that it shouldn't, under any circumstances, be taken seriously. But you know, we kind of laughed at it. That's all it was. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a, all right, well, this guy is going to have a second career as a pitcher. You saw it happen with Matt Bush. Matt Bush did a great job. He had some issues early on in his career, which kind of ruined his chance to be a legitimate position player when he was taken number one overall by the San Diego Padres. Well, he ended up making it back to the majors, having some success as a relief pitcher. So that was a good story. But the thought wasn't that he was going to be this you know, star hitter that was also going to be able to pitch. And I think we hold this up to a certain standard or a certain level that it really isn't. Shohei Otani is kind of in a place by himself. And whether Brendan McKay down the road ends up doing the same thing with the Tampa Bay Rays or whatever team he ends up playing with at the major league level, that remains to be seen. We're not going to see that for a little while. So now, once again, in the world of next, and that's what we're obsessed with. We're obsessed with What's going to be next? What's going to be that next huge thing that we're going to look at and say, the next two-way player in Major League Baseball? And I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know if it ever will happen. Shohei Otani, he may never be a legitimate two-way player. He's not going to pitch in 2019. He's going to DH and maybe he plays a full season. He puts up 30-something home runs. And when his arm gets better, better, his elbow's all healed from Tommy John surgery, maybe, you know, we'll see that in 2020. But it's not like we're going to see a ton of examples of it this year. The misconception really is this. It's the fact that teams want to save their bullpens when they're getting blown out. And there's been more of an emphasis on wanting to bring in pitchers that happen to play the field that are regular position players and I do apologize for that background. It looks like Facebook is kind of shot out today. So if you just hold on one second, if you're watching on Periscope, I'm going to go fix that. Once again, this is the Pass Paul Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Of course, lots of stuff we're going to get into. We're going to give the feed one more shot. Actually, forget it. We're not even going to worry about Facebook Live today. If you're with me on Periscope, good good deal. We'll get the video up on YouTube, the whole thing. Uh, just to finish off this last point that we're making about position players becoming pitchers, I don't think it's going to be something that we're going to see in the game a ton. But I do believe 
that teams are going to designate certain players and maybe pitch them more than once over the course of the season because there is a little bit of an obsession with saving pitchers and saving innings. That game that you're getting blown out 15-2 to two when it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter who pitches those last three innings. You, know, you saw what happened last year with Sean Kelly and the Washington Nationals that 25-run game that the Nationals scored blowing out the New York Mets. You know, he was almost embarrassed to be pitching in that game. Maybe that could have been an example where the Washington Nationals could have gone to a position player to finish the game off. But I do think teams are going to want to save their arms. Think about the value of the bullpen. Starters not going as deep as they have in games. I think there's something to that. And there's a reason that teams are going to want to save those pitchers, be able to use them the next day. You got bullpens the way that you got 12 and 13 man pitching staffs. Bullpens used up to a certain point where pitchers are getting sent to the minor leagues just so he can have a fresh arm in there. So I understand why the value of your entire bullpen is at an all time high. And because of that, more position players are going to pitch than ever did before. But this thought that pitchers are, you know, position players are going to have the opportunity to be two-way players. What are we really looking at? Look at the history of, recent history of baseball. Christian Bethencourt with the Boston Red Sox. Um, Brooks Kieschnick. Ike Davis. You're looking at, you know, Rick Ankiel. You're looking at players that have done it but never did both well at the same time. And I think that's something that has to be discussed. Are we maybe put no and over emphasis on marginal players, maybe players that aren't really that good and kind of giving themselves a, a little bit of a reputation or a name to themselves because they could both pitch and play the field. Because where's that star player outside of Otani? Where's that star player that could also pitch? Remember, every one of these players that come up to the major leagues was the best of the best in high school, in prep school, in college, in the minor leagues. They were probably the best athlete on the field. They could probably do everything. But at some point, they became specialized. They ended up focusing on one thing. And they became either a pitcher or either a hitter. And they made that call. Just like you could say about two-sport athletes or players that were the best athletes in high school and college and could do multiple different things, could play football, could play baseball, could play basketball, could run track and field. At some point, they were forced into specialization. And if you're talking about baseball, the specialization forces you to have to choose between being a pitcher and a hitter. So this thought that this new generation of athletes, pitchers are going to be able to hit and hitters are going to be able to pitch, it's not happening. Look at the batting averages of starting pitchers in Major League Baseball and tell me that there's going to be somebody that's going to go out there and be able to pitch and hit. Name one starting pitcher out there in Major League Baseball right now that is above replacement level as a hitter. Nobody. It doesn't exist. So I, I just think this is, once again, you're trying to make names out of players like a Matt Davidson or a J.D. Davis that otherwise they wouldn't gain any prominence. Maybe they won't be as good of hitters. So you want to say, hey, they could pitch too. Do they have more versatility to a team? No. The bottom line is every team, just about at all the 30 teams in Major League Baseball, are going to focus on one or two players on their roster and have that player be ready with the opportunity to pitch if needed. And you know what? Does that give that player more versatility? No. 
It's not the same as saying a second baseman could also play shortstop and third base and the outfield. That's versatility. The fact that you could pitch in a game that is already a blowout in a mop-up situation does not give you any more versatility. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. Uh, so I did want to start the show by talking about a former guest on the Passball Show. Um, Eli Gerba, former major league pitcher with the Yankees and the Angels in the 1960s, passed away at the age of 84. And Eli was a guest on the Passball Show in 2012. I had a chance to listen to the interview that I did with him back then. I understand there was a lot less of a polished product from my perspective, but Eli gave a great interview. And the questions I asked were good. I'm not 100% in love with my delivery and the way I sounded back then. I do think I've improved a little bit. But Eli made it a great interview. And for those that don't know, he was a pitcher on the 1960 New York Yankees team that ended up losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates in that famous World Series, the Bill Mazeroski home run in Game 7 off of Ralph Terry. A World Series which is going to go down as one of the bigger upsets in World Series history in regards to Major League Baseball. And uh, obviously the Yankees dominated the three games that they won in that Game 7, which was so much of a back and forth and really proof and you know evidence that any deciding game is an example of what, how anything can happen. And if you get yourself to a deciding game, or if it's a winner-take-all game, like example, the wild-card games, the way they're set in baseball right now, a game seven in hockey or basketball, or a playoff game in football where you know whoever wins that game is going to move on, or if it's the Super Bowl, whoever wins that game is going to win the entire thing. You know that if it's in a winner-take-all scenario, anything can happen. And the 1960 World Series was a prime example how if the Pittsburgh Pirates could get that to a Game 7, you never know what's going to happen. The NBA playoffs last year, you had both Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals going to seven games last year. So Game 7, the Rockets could have beat the Golden State Warriors. And obviously we'd be speaking a whole different tune if that happened. The Boston Celtics were taken to a seventh game by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And anything could have happened there. And obviously Bill Mazeroski hitting that home run off of Ralph Terry was one of the bigger and most um, dynamic points in baseball history. And Eli Gerber was sitting in that bullpen. And he got a chance to appear in a game as a pinch runner. He got up and warmed up a couple times in, that, in the bullpen for the Yankees over the course of that World Series. He could throw. So could Duke Moss. Duke Moss, didn't, I think, only got into one game. You know, Casey Stengel chose to focus and continue to use his major pitchers over the course of that series. And obviously, Whitey Ford not pitching games 1, 4, and 7 was something that ended up leading to Stengel's demise. But Eli Gribbo was also the first player taken in the expansion draft by the Los Angeles Angels of that time, who eventually became the California Angels, became the Anaheim Angels, and are now known as the Los Angeles Angels after being known as the Los Angeles Angels for Anaheim for a little bit. He's the first angel 
And you know, if you do get a chance, and I'll share it again with a little bit of a caption, uh, a lot of good stuff from Eli in this interview. And it, you know, it's a shame you know he passes away at the age of 84. But you know, a man that you know certainly had a good baseball career, and his memory is always going to be with us. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. So I did want to bring this up because I think, you know, unfortunately you, you live in a world of the ESPNs and, you know, a lot of similar accounts that are out there on Twitter that are trying to maybe come up with a story that you could focus on day after day. And a lot of gravitation, a lot of attention has been thrown towards James Harden for what he's doing with the Houston Rockets over the last couple weeks. Now, with all you know, all due respect, James Harden's scored a lot of points. He's done a great job. He's a good player in the NBA. He is not doing something that has never been done before. And we throw these stats out there. We talk about the 50-point games, the consecutive games that he has scoring 40 or more points. He's probably going to lead the league in scoring average. He's probably going to score the most points. You know, he certainly takes the most shots. Is he the best player in the NBA right now? That Sure, that's a good discussion he could have. You know, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. He's had a hell of a season. He's putting up numbers. He's putting up points. But let's back the truck up a little bit when we're talking about him being one of the most dynamic and dominant players in NBA history. There's a guy by the name of Will Chamberlain that went out there and over the course of an entire season averaged 50 points a game. You know how hard that is to do? You know, James Harden, sure, maybe he could average 35 or 38 points a game if he keeps this up. And we'll see. If he goes over the course of 20 games or 30 games and he has a stretch where he scored 40 or more points in, you know, 38 out of 40 games or something like that, sure, I'll go back to it and I'll relish in what has been a great season. But let's not call James Harden the most dominant scorer in NBA history. Obviously, the game has changed. It probably was a little bit easier in the early part of the 60s for a guy like Will Chamberlain to go out there and being, you know, seven foot two, seven foot three, being able to dominate a game. You know, you give him the ball, he's gonna get the ball in the basket. But remember, you know, we have a three-point line and a three-point shot that didn't exist when Will Chamberlain played. So you know how much harder, even though he was the most intimidating and dominating athlete on the NBA court, to get the ball and score as much as he did to score 100 points in a game? I understand he was intimidating, and he was better than any player on that court. But we... I'm sorry. It's a matter of just time going by and maybe a lot of our generation that we have as it exists right now just never lived through the time of a Will Chamberlain. And that's what sucks about sports now. Everything is about the now. We don't spend enough time embracing and enjoying the history of the particular sports. What, just because it happened before you were born, it didn't happen? You know, James Harden is the most dominant scorer in NBA history because a lot of younger fans now did not watch Will Chamberlain play. Let's, let's just back off a little bit. Sure, enjoy the season that James Harden's having. And maybe he can build on it. Maybe he can continue to go out there and score 
40, 50 points each game. If he does, good for him. But to say that he did it, wow, in four straight games, in five straight games, in eight straight games, or you know, eight out of ten, it's nice. It's interesting now because we haven't seen it so much in the NBA over the last 20 years. But the guy's not Will Chamberlain. Please, let's just back off of that for a minute. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So today is a very important anniversary and probably one that doesn't get brought up that much in the world of sports. And of course, everybody talks about on April 15th, the significance of Jackie Robinson becoming the first Major League Baseball player as an African-American, a black player, since the days of, what, uh, William Edward White and, you know, Moses Fleetwood Walker. We know about the long that existed in Major League Baseball for a long time, and it obviously existed in professional sports. You know, you got the likes of, of Wataru Wasaka, who became the first NBA black NBA player in 1947. You look at a sport right now that's got well over 70% of its players that are black. But they should look back at a player like Wasaka, who embraced, I'm sure, some racism and discrimination and you know some ill feelings as he was really breaking that barrier. And you'll get Fritz Pollard and Bobby Marshall in 1920 becoming the first black pro football players in the NFL. And of course, there was some time that went by for the years of 1934 to 1945. The story of Lenny Moore in the 1950s and 60s kind of revolutionizing, uh, you know, players getting an equal opportunity in the sport of the National Football League and everything that he had to deal with. But very little is spoken about in regards to Willie O'Ree, who 61 years ago today, became the first African-American professional hockey player. And he had a decent career, was put in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He ended up making his debut for the Boston Bruins. And he's considered the Jackie Robinson of hockey. But what stands out, you know, looking at 11 years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, you're looking at a sport in hockey that has not made those same progressions, that has not taken the same important steps. And I do think that there has to be more done to it. When we talk about the player last week that ended up having to deal with the racial slurs and taunts from from opposing players and parents at a hockey league game at the age of 13, you would hope that we would progress in society that we talk about everybody having an equal opportunity when it comes to sports. But Willie O'Ree, on the 18th day of January, 1958, did something that was right on par with what Jackie Robinson did on April 15th, 1947. We should have a Willie O'Ree day. The National Hockey League should stand up and acknowledge Willie O'Ree every 18th day of January. In the same way that Jackie Robinson is getting the credit and respect for doing what he did and dealing with and enduring what he endured. So moving on, 
We're going to do our NFL picks, obviously. There aren't as many games to pick anymore. And we will uh, get the music going and we'll start right now talking about the big games coming up this weekend. And obviously a lot of different things are going to exist. You know, uh, Sunday after that, from uh, two weeks after that, is going to be the Super Bowl. So I do think there's going to be some legitimate, uh, you know, love put towards football pools and preparation and all the different discussion we're going to have in regards to the Super Bowl. And let's be serious. After Sunday, you're going to hear a lot of talk Monday and Tuesday going into Wednesday. But after that, it's going to get overblown. And you're going to have media day. They're going to have people in the media going out of their way to try to provoke and get players to say certain things because they got nothing else to talk about. The one thing that kind of sucks about the NFL now over the last several years, you've had that two-week break between the AFC and NFC championship games and the Super Bowl, and it just unfortunately gives the media very little to talk about by the time you get into that second week. So let's get into it. Let's bring the bring up the different games that you got. Obviously, you got the New England Patriots traveling to Kansas City. And you got the New Orleans Saints playing at home against the Los Angeles Chargers. So these games, as they're getting set, let's talk a little bit about them. And obviously the thing that's going to stand out, like I've said all season, is the different the lines as they're set up in these games. Can the New England Patriots fight off a Kansas City Chief team that is certainly getting a lot of love? as it applies to the NFL. They look like the next thing. And we spoke about this last week, or the last show that we did on Monday, how you know the Chiefs are going to be, in regards to a lot of people that follow the NFL, kind of the darlings, or the team that is hoping could take that torch from the New England Patriots. Now, I don't believe any of this crap that you hear when you hear the New England Patriots and Tom Brady talking about all of a sudden they're getting dis, you know, dismissed. Uh, uh, they're uh, you know, these crazy underdogs. They're not underdogs. They may be underdogs in a game, but they're playing at a high level and have proven people wrong for a long time. The issue is not about people not believing that the New England Patriots are any good. The issue is the fact that nobody, you know, maybe the league and fans and people in general are just tired of seeing the same team all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, when it came to the national fans of the new, uh, of baseball in the 1930s, the late 1930s and the early 1950s, when the New York Yankees were winning World Series year after year, you know what? People just wanted to see somebody else. If you weren't a Yankee fan, you just wanted to see in a big game somebody else play. You know, you look at, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, in the early part of the 2010s, the San Francisco Giants winning World Series championships in 2010, 2012, and 2014. Well, it wasn't that people were not thinking the Giants were good anymore. They just wanted to see somebody else. If they weren't a San Francisco Giants fan, you understood why they didn't want to see the same teams over and over again. When people are preparing their Super Bowl party and care maybe about the commercials or maybe about who's playing at halftime and are getting you know major gatherings together with friends and family, if they're watching a game, maybe they just want to see somebody else. You know, for the Patriots to take it a step further and take it as an insult 
where people are just not thinking they're good anymore. What have the Patriots done over the last, you know, what, 18, 19 years? They've gone out there and won. That's all they got to do. Focus on winning the game. And you know what? If they lose, I'm sure there's going to be people in the media and fans that are going to say that the Patriots' time has passed them by. And if that's the case, so be it. Go out there and prove them wrong next year. But what, what do I think when it comes to this weekend? Because I do think you've got two teams that are matched up pretty well against each other. And you see by the line, Kansas City is favored by three at home. The weather may be a factor, it may not be a factor. Patrick Mahomes having a chance to bring his team to the Super Bowl. You're looking at a young team there, obviously young star players, whether it's a Tyreek Hill, obviously Mahomes, some of the players on the defense. A veteran coach in Andy Reid. I can see this game going back and forth. Now, if it does, it's not going to bode well for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's why I'm looking at it, and I think the Chiefs should be able to put points on the board. I think the Patriots should certainly be able to score points on the Kansas City defense. And I would have had a little more belief and love for the Kansas City Chiefs in this game if their defense had shown me a little more. Now, they played well last week. They had a good game plan. They stopped Andrew Luck. They stopped the Indianapolis Colts. They did a great job. But do I think that they're going to be able to stop the New England Patriots from going up and down the field? Now, this seems to be the time or the year where a lot of people look at the Patriots and say, hey, maybe they have taken a step back. Is this the greatest New England Patriots team that they've ever assembled? No, probably not. And I think the Patriots would be okay hearing that. They may want to, I don't know, prove people wrong. They may feel like they're these ridiculous underdogs. You can't ever look at the Patriots and say, hey, they're underdogs. They go out there and they dominate and they play good football every year. They're in the mix for the Super Bowl every single year. Eight straight AFC championship games. And you know what? Three points I don't think is enough. Give me New England plus three at Kansas City. So the last game obviously is going to be the more intriguing one. It's going to be the interesting one, the earlier game where you got the Los Angeles Rams traveling to New Orleans against the Saints. And if for some reason the New England Patriots make it to the Super Bowl again, this is going to be the team, whoever wins this game, that you know is going to be, according to fans and people that aren't rooting for the New England Patriots, the football fans, that they're going to want to see win. So this may be an example. We may see two instances, whether it's the Chiefs and whoever it is that the Patriots play in the Super Bowl, if they win this week, they're going to have to go over and pass the court of public opinion. So I look at the line of this game, and it's pretty similar. It's right on par with the Chiefs and the Patriots. And what do I see? I saw a lot out of the Los Angeles Rams last week. More than I thought that I'd see. They came out there, they had a dynamic performance against a Dallas Cowboy team that maybe wasn't on the same level as them, maybe wasn't as dominant of a team as they were, and that's possible, it's okay. Sometimes the better team wins, and in fact, a lot of times the better team wins, and that's what happened last week. C.J. Anderson going out there doing what he did, making a great one-two punch with Todd Gurley. Jared Goff played a little better. They got a little bit of a good performance out of their defense. But they're going to New Orleans, and I look at the Saints and I say, this team is, is not as much 
of a can't-lose-at-home team as they used to be. And I used to look at the New, the New Orleans Saints and say, wow, this is a team, if they're playing at the Superdome, they should be favored. They could go beat anybody at home. But when they go away from home, they're not the same team. You saw it a couple times this year. But I don't think they are as dominant at home. That being said, I like them over the Rams for a couple reasons. I think that the Sean Payton's got a couple things up his sleeve. I think you're going to see some gadget plays. I don't really like them going to, to uh, Taysom Hill as often in those wildcat packages. But I could see some things being built off of there that are a little different, set up for this particular game. Because I think it means a lot to Sean Payton to get back to the Super Bowl. It means a lot to Drew Brees to get back to the Super Bowl. This is a team that, for a series of years, looks like they've kind of fallen off. And all of a sudden, they've gotten them back to playing at a high level. They want to build off of that one Super Bowl championship that the two of them won together. So give me New Orleans minus three. At home against the Los Angeles Rams. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Eli Gerba passing away at the age of 84. We talked about his impact on the New York Yankees in the 1960 World Series. He didn't get a chance to pitch. Maybe he, if he was the one that was pitching at bottom of the ninth inning. You know, at, at uh, Forbes Field. Maybe that home run by Bill Mazeroski never happens. First Angel. He's always going to be remembered for that. Uh, Willie O'Ree becoming the first African-American professional hockey player on this date 61 years ago in 1957. I'm sorry, 1958. His comparison to Jackie Robinson, Fritz Pollard, Bobby Marshall, Mazaka in the NBA. Two-way players in Major League Baseball. I think it's a little bit of a farce. We're going a little too crazy saying that it's going to be the next thing. Otani's on the league by himself, I agree. Outside of that, Matt Davidson, J.D. Davis, come on. NFL picks will be up on JohnPielli.com. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. Enjoy your championship Sunday. The NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. We didn't talk a lot of baseball today, but it's okay. Because... You still got some top free agents that are out there. And why? Why is it that a ton of teams aren't interested in these players, especially if the price is dropping like we see that it probably is at this point on January 18th? God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.